variable. Review. I'm Andrew Smith coming to you live from downtown Los Angeles. Uh, this is episode two. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, how the four-year bachelor's degree is uh, virtually obsolete for most people. We've got a nice little slideshow running. Uh, it's got some charts on it. These are uh, coming from numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and from Statista. And Statista is a, a good program. They've got a nice little free account where you can get a lot of good statistics and look up some of the facts. But uh, what we're going to be talking about is how the four-year degree is dead and what young people should do for the most part. Now, if you're really driven and you know exactly what you want to do with your life, uh, a degree could be a great way to accomplish that. Uh, but what you'll see, first first slide, I believe, and I don't know exactly how the order of these comes up because I'm still getting used to the programs that I'm using to, to host this thing. And, you know, I'm not an expert at this, so bear with me a little bit. Uh, but the first slide is kind of like a little heat map, I believe. And the, the heat map shows kind of the educational as a, a major category, the color, uh, educational requirement for that job. And then... Within the heat map, you have little squares that are different sizes that show the next layer down, uh, what the kind of the, the overall job, job title is. Uh, and this kind of represents what the jobs are going to be available, what jobs are going to be, be available over the next 10 years. Um, and the other thing that we're going to be talking about are some of these, and that, that, that comes from BLS, some of the other charts I have. Uh, we have the number of pro- projected new jobs by education required, uh, the percent of jobs coming available by education required, the number of degrees being earned each year historically, and then we project that forward based on standard deviation. We come kind of, you know, to the low and to the, the, the maximum, the minimum maximum projected out, and we show an average how many degrees based on growth rate, historical growth rate. We show number uh, the cumulative number of new higher education degrees to be earned. Um, and these numbers are in the thousands. And, and what you'll see on this chart, there's probably, you know, if we're going to give a good guess, the average is going to be about 55 million degrees uh, earned over the next 10 years. That's, that's a ton of degrees here in the U S and, um, the minimum would be just a little bit below 50,000, uh, right, or right above 50,000. And the maximum will be really close to 60,000, or excuse me, 60 million. Uh, uh, right, right below 50 million, right, uh, really close to 60 million. So that's a ton of degrees that are going to be uh, earned over the next 10 years. And we're going to show the uh, number of jobs, don't even come close to that, the number of jobs that are going to be available come close to that number of jobs that are going to be available don't come close to that and this is just i mean you can you can do the math yourself um this is math math doesn't really lie so you just got you got to look at these numbers uh, when you're taking into consideration and you can go to the bureau of labor statistics they have these tables available it's very easy to kind of just 
look at them, do the math. Really think about it. If you're young and you're thinking about entering job force, think about whether or not you should spend the time to pursue a four-year degree. And the other thing that we're going to be talking about, and, and you've got to look at these numbers because these numbers are ridiculous. These are in thousands. Um, and, and the chart that I'm looking at right now basically shows that about 3 million degrees a year over the last three years and maybe four years, a little bit over 3 million degrees a year. Um, going back, actually, it's been over 3 million degrees per year for a while. Uh, going back until you know, about 06, 07, it was just under 3 million. It's just been, been growing. It, it took a huge gap up. Uh, it took a huge gap up. And looks like about 1970, huge gap up from the year before. And, and, and that's when, I'm guessing that's when, you know, this idea of, of having to have a four-year degree uh, really got, got, got adopted by popular culture. Um, it's, it's something that we need to reconsider. You got to look at the numbers. You got to think about this. And... Uh, that's what we're going to talk about here on the macro view. That's a good little introduction to uh, today's show. What uh, I'd like to do is here in a little bit, we're going to, uh, we're going to listen to a clip that I heard earlier. Uh, I don't know if it's today or yesterday that uh, it was uh, one of the presidential candidates, actually Gary Johnson. And he was at a rally in Salt Lake city. It was, it was great. It was very, very interesting. We're going to listen to that in a couple of minutes here. Um, but what he had to say really echoes my belief in it. I, I think the numbers behind this, the statistics, this is math, okay? It, it proves it. We're going to need entrepreneurship. We're going to need mass entrepreneurship to create jobs to deliver incomes to a lot of people. And what we're, what we're going to wrap up today's show with is we're going to talk about, you know, I talked a little bit about this in the first show, but we're going to talk about the, the two-job mentality. Having a, Everybody has a second job. You have an income job and you have a wealth job. The wealth job is your personal life, your personal finances and saving and investing your money. And I've got a chart running in this slideshow that it just shows a number of different scenarios. It shows the same, and it just takes into account a, little, a, a couple of assumptions, and we'll talk about those assumptions when, when we get to that part of the show, but it shows the same compound annual growth rate and uh, the same number of years or, or ages that you are, basically from 18 to 64 for every scenario, and we take into account a couple of assumptions of when you enter the workforce, so, and, and this is a very, very interesting um, chart because if you really think about it, the wealth side is actually more important than the income side. The income side, um, you should try to pursue as many ways to generate as much income as possible to save and to generate wealth. But the wealth side of the equation uh, becomes a lot more important. And, and the number of years you work, the number of years you save, um, the amount of money that you're able to put away versus the, the amount of money that you're forced to spend and 
And I, a lot of these, cal- I'll, we'll talk about the assumptions that went into the calculations of this chart, but I accounted for what an average student, uh, you know, debt looks like uh, or will look like for people that are entering college today and, and coming out of the workforce in the next three, four, five years and trying to figure out what is wrong. Why, 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 when I spent four years going through this thing that, you know, I was told would guarantee me a good, high paying job. And don't get me wrong, the jobs that will be available, and that's one of the charts that I show, the jobs that will be available for people with degrees, the jobs that will be available for people with degrees, are higher paying jobs. You got to talk about risk and reward. You can't just talk about the reward, the end game. You got to talk about the cost of getting to that reward, and we're going to talk about that here. That's what the macro view is all about. Talking about the real issues and backing it up with statistics, and and you'll see in this chart, okay, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, a sneak peek, but what you'll see in this chart is, yeah, absolutely. Given a certain level of education, and the higher the level of education, the more money you make. But you've got to consider the time it takes to get to that education, the, the opportunity cost that you, that, that you have over that time, how much income could you make, you know, are you taking on debt to do it? And in these assumptions I counted for debt because Student debt is a is considered a public issue right now, um, so I want to talk a little bit about how that affects people's future wealth. Uh, we're we're taking in some base assumptions, and, and and I'll talk about how these base assumptions don't paint the full picture. Uh, but what I wanted to do was highlight, given exact same lifestyle choices, okay, um, and and certain paths, obviously, and, and given the medium wages that you could actually generate a lot more wealth and there's a lot of actual anecdotal examples of this as well and we'll get to to some of those but you could actually generate a lot more wealth just having a decent good job that pays well but where you live a lifestyle that uh you know you take you you take into account how much you make you live within your means you put money away you save for a rainy day and you, you have a smart, you know, sustainable and uh, attainable compound annual gro- growth rate target. And by saving, investing, and building your wealth through markets, you could reach a level of wealth that's much greater than somebody who went to a, a, a deep, deep, deep level of education, promised that that was what would pay off that that hard work and, and, and focusing on, you know, a for four years, getting, you know, kind of broad brushstroke on life and trying to find yourself. And then for another two or three years, trying to specialize in something. And then if you really wanted to go full in, you know, spending another three, four, five years, uh, getting a doctorate in it and, uh, you know, becoming a, one of the intellectuals and, and that may be for some people, but what we're going to talk about today is why that's not necessarily for most people. And we're going to talk about other ways to drive value and generate wealth for yourself. And understand that income and wealth are not necessarily correlated. Now, income and wealth tend to be correlated. If you look at people that have higher incomes, typically they have higher wealth because they're able to save. They have a higher propensity to save. But we're going to talk about why that might not be the case going forward so much. 
uh, specifically regarding the cost of college and the cost of getting those degrees. So that's what today's show is going to be really about. We're going to be talking about the job market and education. Um, and uh, I wanted to get to this uh, this little clip from Gary Johnson, but I was uh, I, I don't know how to use this uh, software that well. I was, I was running through it and uh, trying to get there with it on mute. And I was going to raise the volume when I got there, but I let it run a little bit too far because I was talking. So we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more. We'll we'll dive right into it. We'll, so let's look at these numbers. All right, the number of projected new jobs based on the education required associates degrees. You got two hundred ninety-nine thousand five hundred new jobs will be created over the next ten years. This is from twenty fourteen. We're about two years into these numbers. Twenty fourteen to twenty twenty-four. Okay, 2014 to 2024. And then bachelor's degrees, 2.6 million, a little over 2.6 million, 2.61 million. And that's a good number. That's the second highest. Um, and then you have doctoral degrees. You got about 501,000, 500, almost 502,000, 501.8 thousand. And then you got a high school diploma or equivalent, 2.155 million. Uh, closer to 2.156 million, so uh, a little over 2 million, 155,000 dollars, or dollars, 2 million, 155,000 new jobs that for people who have a high school diploma or an equivalent. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. And then master's degrees. Okay, master's MBAs or what not. 347.2, and this is in thousands, so 347,200 new jobs over the next 10 years or eight years here, and, you know, I didn't go into the math to actually accounting for the last two years, and 2.8 million in uh, no formal education credential, that's the highest, no formal education credential, and then a post-secondary non-degree award has about 1 million. That's actually the fourth highest. So number one is no formal. Number two is a bachelor's degree. Okay. Number two is a bachelor's degree. That's 2.6 million. And, and we went over the numbers earlier. There's going to be way more than 2.6 million people with degrees in 10 years. Way more than that entering into the job force over the next 10 years. And it's just flooding the job market with degreed labor. Flooding the market with degreed labor when the market's not even needing it right now. That's not really what it needs. So, and then, uh, you know, and we'll talk about why the market doesn't need that, why we need to create new jobs, and why I really, really like this clip from Gary Johnson. Um, but it, it, it's 2.6 million is a strong number. It's number two. Okay, no, no formal education is number one. No formal education will create more jobs. Uh, there will be more jobs available for people with no formal education than any other education attainment level. And then bachelor's degrees are number two. Okay? 2.6 million. Number three is high school diploma or equivalent. So get your high school diploma because that puts you in a good position. Because then, you, you know, you're, you're, you're closer to a bachelor's degree. You know, you got... You know, you got at least uh, 4.9 million jobs or more that will be available that you'll be able to compete with. Uh, get your get your high school diploma at least. And then po- post-secondary non-degree award. What does that mean? So we're, we're talking about specialization certificates. 
And I'm a big advocate of that. I think that, that typically the people who have a bachelor's degree also need a post-secondary non-degree award to then prove, hey, not only do I have this good well-roundedness uh, and this ability uh, to you know, get along with people in a social setting, which is really what college is about now. It's not, not really about the education anymore. But I've also passed this test. I've passed this test that tells people I know about this particular thing. And that's what post-secondary non-degree awards are. And these numbers are government-projected numbers based on current public policy. Later, we're going to talk about ways that we could potentially double or triple these numbers across all categories, okay? And, and, and that's through much better public policy. And we're going to be coming up right now on uh, where I want, want you to listen in. I missed it again. So we'll, we'll, we'll go another couple of minutes here, uh, and then, then we'll get to this clip from, uh, from Gary Johnson. So let's look, look at these numbers in terms of the percentage, right, the percentage of jobs coming available. And remember, these according, this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. These aren't my numbers. I didn't make them up. You can go look at them. This is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And then the, the number of degrees that people are getting, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later, uh, yeah, it's from Statista. And you could go to Statista. They're a fairly reputable source. I like to use them for a lot of uh, just offhand infographics that they have readily available. It's a great place to uh, you know, just a little, learn a little bit more about the world around you. And uh, so the percentage of jobs coming available, you got about 67 of the, the job percent of the jobs coming available, a little bit over a little bit under two thirds, just under two thirds of the jobs coming available over the next 10 years. And it's really eight. Cause remember I told you 2014 or in 2016 through uh, 2024 over the next eight years. Okay. 64.7% of the jobs coming available do not require a four-year degree. That's associate's degrees. Some require associate's degree. We talked about those numbers uh, when I was talking about the last chart that's part of the slideshow that I got running on Blog Talk Radio. Um, and then you got about uh, 26.7 that require a four-year degree and about 8.7 that require more than a four-year degree. This is Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers. These are not my numbers, okay? We do not need, we've got 40% of the population today that has a bachelor's degree, and we're asking ourselves, why are people under, uh, you know, underemployed and unemployed? It, when you've gone to the effort of getting a bachelor's degree and becoming, in your mind, an expert in a certain field, because that's what you're promised to be, and 40% of the population is on your same level, okay? And I know, obviously, there's specialization, but we're, we're we're talking about people with bachelor's degrees. There's a, there's a lot of them. You're not unique anymore if you get a bachelor's degree. Okay. Now what we will talk about, and I will come up on that is that the people who do get bachelor's degrees, those jobs are a little bit better paying. They're a little bit better paying. They're not I mean, 15 to 20% better paying. The question is, is it worth the cost anymore? Is it dead in its current form? Should we get people out there quicker and should we, and, and are there ways, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of episodes, but I'll touch on it a little bit, but are there ways we can prepare people for life and prepare people for, to understand the probabilities of life, 
what jobs are going to be available, what jobs aren't going to be available, what training I need, what do I really want to do? Start learning about what you really want to do younger in life. Um, Understand the risk and rewards of the careers you want to pursue. And don't complain about it later. If you want to pursue being a professional athlete, you blow out your knee and you never studied for a plan B, it's going to be really hard for you to get along in life. It's a competitive world. And, and you'll hear me say this a lot throughout this show, America is not the only game in town anymore. Okay? We're not the only game in town anymore. It's, it, we are a global world. We trade and compete on a, a, on a global scale. Okay? And that's for the better for the most part. But you've got to understand that you've got to be competitive. If you work hard, if you show up to work and you deliver urgency, not only will you advance and get a, get a, a, you know, a wage raise, but you'll learn so much from, from that opportunity, what works, what doesn't. Take a little bit of risks in your own career, ethical risks, but you know, come up with your own way of, of, of you know, take an entrepreneurial approach to your division, your specialization, and, and figure out if it works or not, and think about whether or not you can create your own business. We love entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship should be something that we promote openly. And, you know, that's what really, really surprised me about this clip that we're going to play right now. And I think he's going to carry it all before him. And I am just so proud and humbled to be able to introduce to you the next president of the United States of America, Gary Johnson. tried to turn it up and then play and then start it over. So, um, but basically what, what, what he does is he comes out and, and, and essentially says, go and create your own job. Go and create your own job. And, and I wish you heard more of that. I really, really wish you heard more of that because that's going to be really important when you look at the numbers. You look at how many people are going to be entering the job market. Okay. And just the sheer number of job deficits that we're going to have. We need to find ways for people to access capital to be able to create jobs. And, you know, these numbers are just going to show it. We've got a lot, a long show to talk about it. This kind of the first 30 minutes. I gave myself a little bit extra time because it's still going to be a little bit rocky. It's only the second episode. Give me a little bit of a break here. And, uh, you know, the technology and trying to do it on my own without a producer and somebody coming in with the clips and having it ready. Um, I think the slideshow is exceptional this week. If you really take a look at those numbers and you t- look at the numbers that we're talking about, they paint the picture for you. And that's really what I, what I try to do on the show is let the numbers paint the picture for everybody. I mean, that's why I call it the macro view. I want to I look at the, the general picture and I want people to think about, okay, what does this mean for me? You know, do I want to try to compete within this framework? If I do, let me dig a little bit deeper. Where's that job going to be? Is the cost of living good? Does the amount of money that I make, you know, suffice to live in that town? And you got to really be able to think about those things when you're considering 
lifelong choices like a career path. Making a career switch is very difficult. Making a career switch is extremely difficult, okay? There's a lot of people that are going to have to. There's a lot of people that are going to have to. If you dig deeper into some of these uh, Bureau of Labor Statistic numbers, and I'll try to get to them. I'll try to talk about it. I'm going to pull up the actual spreadsheet. There's some really interesting opportunities for entrepreneurship out there where it's actually going to be job creation, and 90% of the jobs in that sector, 70%, 50%. Cases where you have majority jobs, and you can earn 40, 45, 50,000, potentially some of these jobs, potentially, you can work from anywhere, okay? You can work from anywhere. We're, we're talking about wealth, and we're talking about wealth in a free society, You've got to make these choices. You've got to get out there and figure out how you're going to do it. Now, we're coming up on right on the part where I want to show you what, what, what Gary Johnson says, because this was to have a public figure. I think he's pulling out like somewhere around 12%. I saw that in Utah, he's only three points behind Donald Trump. He might actually win Utah because um, Donald Trump's ahead of Hillary, and, and, and he's three points behind he's ahead of Hillary. And this is what he says. And I think he's going to carry all before him. I paused it. I paused it. Paused it again. And, but, so those were, that's where he's pulling. And I think Colorado, he had 15. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do in the election. I don't even want to really talk about politics. But the main point that I was trying to make is that he's, he's right. People should try to go out and create their own jobs. It's not as easy as uh, it should be right now. Uh, we'll talk about why it's not as easy uh, a little bit on the show. But let's think about the implication of some of these numbers that we are looking at. Okay? So you're going to have like Let's take really low conservative estimates. Over the next 10 years, you're going to have three and a half million people that earn a degree a year. Or every year and a half, you know. Let's say that there's 20 million people with degrees. There's only about three and a half, four million jobs. Three and a half, four million jobs that are projected by the BLS. Okay, and, and I know those are pathetic numbers. There's reasons why those are pathetic numbers and why those numbers should be double or triple what they are. But even at double or triple what they are, 9 million jobs and you're going to have 30 million people over the next 10 years entering the labor force that have degrees. We've got to hope that a lot of baby boomers retire early. I'm not so sure that's going to happen in today's environment. I'm not so sure we got a bunch of healthy baby boomers that they're going to try to retire when they need a little bit of extra money. They didn't start saving until a little bit later on. All they got is their house. What are those people going to do? What are the people coming out of a four-year college with debt and a ultra-competitive job market? What are they going to do? There's, there's a couple, which I mean, you could move, you could go to a different country and your services might be really, uh, really, really accepted. 
uh, being educated here in America, speaking English. If you know another language and you move to a country where you speak that language, that language is your native language, and the cost of living is significantly lower in that language, you can actually do really well. And then I do it. If the environment isn't, isn't such here that you're able to make a living for you and your family or you're not able to make a living in the way that you want to live, the lifestyle that you want because of it, do it. There's also places in America where the cost of living is significantly lower. And uh, we're about a minute away from where the, the, the part of uh, Gary Johnson's speech that I want to show you. But I got to figure out a better way to do this and have these clips ready. But I just heard this. I think I heard it earlier today. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to be talking about jobs and the fact that the jobs market uh, over the next 10 years is, is in no way, shape or form going to be able to handle the uh, labor force increase. And, I, you know, some of these numbers are a little bit contradictory, but they, I got them from Statista. The, the, remember, I got the, uh, the actual number of people that are earning degrees from Statista. And then I got the other ones from the uh, number of jobs available from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm going to be talking about Absolutely true. That's right. Uh, government does interfere in some of these situations. Some of these situations are so disruptive, like Uber. We talked a little bit about that, that they don't have to ask permission. They just go right in. Uh, they, they do it, and it's too late. Government can't regulate them. The consumer will go into an upheaval if government tries to regulate them. But entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, it's absolutely true. Free enterprise and the, the ability to create your own job and trade is a big part of that. It becomes a lot harder to create your own job. You meet somebody in college or you meet somebody when you're on vacation that has a business in another country that's able to trade with you and you're able to start a little store that sells those products and you're able to sell them cheaper than what you know the, the, your competitors would be able to sell it for because they don't have that direct source. That helps create wealth for people. That helps create jobs for people. 
Maybe you're able to expand. Part of the equation is access to capital. That's going to be a common theme on this show. Uh, we're actually going to do a whole show dedicated to access to capital in, I believe, two shows. Um, I've got the show's end on, on uh, Blog Talk Radio. So I believe that those go out and you can, uh, you know, you can kind of look at them and see which ones have topics that you think would interest you. Actually, the, the next episode I'm doing, uh, it's something that you probably wouldn't think, um, you know, somebody who likes something that Gary Johnson says uh, would believe him. But I may be talking about universal basic incomes as a welfare replacement tool. And by welfare replacement tool, I th- I'm talking about the whole shebang. I'm talking about everything from fucking, uh, you know, your basic WIC checks and your food stamps and every single aspect of the welfare state. Um, I believe Medicaid, right? Medicaid or, or Medicare. Medica- I think Medicaid is what's the poor people in Medicare's. But the whole thing, um, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about it all, okay? And, and how we can replace that with a universal basic income in a way that will still encourage work, that will encourage advancement in work, that will encourage self-dependence, self-reliability, that will encourage financial responsibility. And later down the road, we're going to be doing an episode about privatizing Social Security, Um, you know, turning it into, legally turning it into a compulsory saving system, uh, compulsory investing system where, you know, people are free to make their own choices, but the same amount of money we put away today into the never-ending Ponzi scheme of Social Security goes into an account where we actually invest that money. And it's pretty, it's as basic as it gets. Um, I'm sorry, but the market works pretty damn good. The market has kept America together. Uh, in general, kept you know Europe together, although they went away from it in the 80s. It was pretty rocky, but they kind of got their stuff together a little bit after that. And markets have, you know, brought China out of immense poverty and uh, political disruption. And I mean, there's still a little bit, but markets work. And I would rather have my money be going to work that, you know, 12 and a half percent that you pay in that uh, you hope when you turn 65 and it's probably going to eventually, it's got to be eventually if we leave it the way it is, it has to be. 70 eventually you gotta gradually you know raise the retirement age if you want to just leave it as what it is no other developed country on earth i don't think has a system close to this and the norwegian countries that uh socialist bernie sanders like to talk about actually have a system more like what i'm talking about for the most part i mean i would say for the most part typically there's country bias and you invest in your own country first but Next to their own country, and like almost every other country that's out there, they invest in America. And uh, they invest in American corporations through American markets, and we don't. We take 12.5% of our income, and we write it off and send it to the fucking government, and that's an absolutely ridiculous idea in the 21st century. Okay? Absolutely ridiculous idea in the 21st century. So we're going to talk about 
why th- this needs to be privatized and why we need to turn in, in that same episode, we're going to talk about why pensions need to be turned into 401ks. But back to this episode, let's get back to some of these numbers. Now that we're done with that little Gary Johnson clip, and I thought that was fantastic. I hope he gets to 15%, gets in the debates. So if he gets out there and says stuff like that, people will be like, you know what? Yeah. We're going to have a whole episode on um, what's going wrong right now and, and why it's become criminalized, essentially, to do a lot of everyday things, and particular, particularly in business and doing things that you just had no idea were illegal because they're not wrong. They're, they're not, they're just ways that you go about everyday life. We're going to talk about actual legal precedents in, in that episode. It's a whole nother episode. We're going to talk about actual legal precedents that have led the government to allow, uh, you know, to, to have this expanding view of uh, how, how to create law and, and being able to create law in different ways. Uh, that doesn't really necessarily line up with the Constitution, but they just fucking get away with it. Um, but we're going to talk about in that episode, we're going to talk, talk about the idea of mens rea uh, and malum in se and, and the idea that, you know, mens rea, the, you know, guilty, uh, guilty act of a guilty mind and, and the way that you accomplish uh, a legal system that only has laws where people know that they're doing something wrong is you don't have too many laws. And you have laws that, it, as you know, Malum and say, you have laws that in, a, in and of themselves are wrong. Things like murder, rape, property damage, that anybody would say, oh, you know, that's bad. Don't do that. Stealing from people, defrauding people, deceiving. De- it, and, and you can extend it to maybe 60, 70. If you're really, really genu- generous, and, and, and digging down and getting really narrow with specific statute, you could maybe get to 150 or 200 laws. There's well over 4,500 incarcerating offenses on, and that's just at a federal level. And states have, have many, many more. And a lot of that has to do with businesses and people going about their everyday business and an outcome coming about that's inevitable whether the person did it one way or another and the the way that they happen to do it being deemed wrong by an expert somewhere a quote-unquote expert and that person having their entire life ruined and in some cases anecdotes are not anecdotes when people go to prison okay when people's freedoms are taken away they're not anecdotes when government takes somebody's freedom away because of a law that means nothing, that's not an anecdote. Okay? So people go to jail because they happen to be sitting at home and they owned an oil company and a rig, uh, you know, had a spill and got into a water source that ran downstream. This is a real case, the Hanasek case. But, and there's numbers of instances where it, it's not even negligence. It's going about your business the way that you do every day and an outcome that's inevitable happening, happening. 
an outcome that's inevitable happening, happening, whether you did it one way or another, the expert deems that you didn't do it the right way and your life is ruined. Your position is, is uh, of merit is taken away. You're deemed a, a, a scumbag by society. You're put in some cases in jail for it. It's it's not a good way to have a, a, you know legal structure, and and we're going to dedicate a whole episode to that. So let let's get back to these numbers. Number of projected new jobs by education required, associate's degree, associate's degree, two hundred ninety nine thousand five hundred over the next eight years or so. This is this is not an you know tiny amount, but about one percent of uh, of the population, one tenth of one percent of the population, should get an associate's degree and uh, bachelor's degree. Two point six million, okay, about uh, you know two point six million people over the next ten years should get bachelor's degrees, and then or well, I'd, I'd say you raise that because you know masters and doctorates require a bachelor's, so you add about eight hundred uh, eight hundred thousand to that number. So 2.6 plus, you know, 800,000, uh, you end up with about 3.4. Uh, so 3.4 million people get bachelor's degrees. Um, about 2.1 million kids should graduate from high school. And uh, about another 2.8 million people should go and find a vocation or a trade or a passion and pursue that passion. Um, and... You know, that could be as simple as working your way from busboy to waiter, doing a little bit of time in a kitchen, really getting to understand the restaurant business, starting a restaurant. And that could be done over a five to seven year period, the same way that becoming a quote unquote expert can be done through the education system. Uh, you know, going and getting a management degree for a bachelor's degree and then getting another uh, MBA at a master's degree takes about seven years. And now all of a sudden you're an expert. Spending seven years at a restaurant, really learning that restaurant, especially a successful one, and working at as a busboy, a food runner, a waiter, uh, working as a line cook, working as you know a, a, a prep, working front of the house management, uh, you know, doing every job whenever the job is needed done, and getting basic training in it all, understanding how to order inventory, and it, that can be just as valuable. And apprenticeships, you know, being a being mentored by somebody could be just as valuable. So there's a lot of jobs available that don't necessarily require bachelor's degrees. And, and number four in line behind high school diploma, no, no formal education, high, uh, bachelor's degree, high school diploma, and then post-secondary non-degree awards. So getting a certificate that, that says you specialize in something. A certificate that says that you specialize in something. You know? Um, that's, there's going to be, there, there's a lot of different certificates that you could earn that will give you a really good high paying job. Now let's look, uh, we talked a little bit earlier and earlier in the show about how many degrees are going to be coming into the market. That's, that's, you know, you got to think, you got to remember just cause you're a human doesn't mean you're not part of the economy. Labor markets are a huge part of the economy. And supply and demand still applies to labor. And labor, guess what, can be replaced by automation. 
and it's going to be more and more able to be replaced by automation. It's not necessarily a bad thing. That will actually create jobs. It'll create a number of jobs and will drive prices down to where people don't need to generate as high as an income and they can enjoy their lives a lot better. So those are good things. Don't think of them as bad things. They're good things. But you got to also understand that that's going to create a competitive landscape where you really got to understand what the fuck you're doing. You got to be good at what you do. You got to provide value. You got to understand the value that you do provide. And you should learn about that. Go to BLS, look at what jobs are coming available, dig down into these numbers that I'm showing you. Because to, to, you know, I, I'll probably pull up the spreadsheet and get, get a little bit deeper into them. But go and look at this for yourself. Go and find the jobs that are going to be available and, and think to yourself, okay, you know, these are going to be most available. This is the next level. These are the highest paying. Do any of the, these things sound exciting to me? Can I get along on this wage? You know, I want to build a family. I'm okay with my significant other working. Um, you know, maybe it might be a struggle if one of us want to take a year off to have kids. And, and by the way, we're going to talk, we're going to have an episode about that. We're going to have an episode about why that's, to me, that's way more fucking important than, uh, the, 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 um, what do you fucking call it? First five initiative and, and push for universal preschool. If you actually look at the social science behind it, um, education and this is going to blow people's minds but especially k through 12 education um and then even in, in in the next level and if you if you look at the the social science behind this most employers say and most professors say this about their students that uh general people are about a year behind where they should be most people are about a year behind where they should be no matter where they went whether they went to a great school and that's it you're just you're not ready for the for the you can't be taught based on yesterday for what's happening tomorrow okay it's a, it's a really hard thing to do so of course you're going to be a year behind whatever profession you go and, and get into but you catch up pretty quickly in general if if you have a passion for it if you're willing to take the time to learn and 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 actually try to figure out what it is that you do as as part of that profession and uh you know take the time to learn about it and, and become a professional become an expert at it it's important you got to do it and most of these jobs most of the highest paying jobs um either part of the degree like the, the doctor like 18 of the top 20 paying jobs you need a doctorate degree for i'm not gonna lie to you top paying jobs that's what you need okay you're gonna take on a lot of that to do it it's gonna take a while to get there we're gonna talk about why that doesn't necessarily correlate to wealth why that doesn't necessarily correlate to wealth um, and when I say necessarily, obviously doctors today generally have higher levels of wealth, but uh, a things are evolving and the cost of getting there's a lot higher and the restrictions on what you can do as a doctor under current law are a lot different. And I don't want to really even get into that part of it on this show, but generally, you know, Yes, doctors are more wealthy because they make a higher income, and it's it's really more of an age equation, and and that's what I want to show you in this show, okay? And it's it's more of an age equation than it is a professional equation, and, and even than it is an educational equation. You should be well educated because you you should be well educated. You should want to learn things about the way that the world works around you. Um, that's 
it's important. It's important to be able to understand how to make informed decisions about your life. Uh, and, and just in general, whether you go and obtain a master's degree or you want to just get a high school diploma and go into the workforce, you're ready to work and start making money. Um, a, both of those decisions are respectable. And let's stop saying that one's more respectable than the other because two-thirds of the jobs are going to be two-thirds of the people working are, are going to be people that don't need a degree. Two-thirds, okay? So let's stop saying that the only way to be a respectable person is to go and get a degree. And that was one of the beauties. And, and, and when people talked about back in the day, American exceptionalism, that was one of the things that they talked about was how wealthy people mingled with the average people and, and what the people that talked about it called the average people. Okay. And, and by average people, what they meant was laborers, the executives mingled with the laborers and knew them very well. And there's anecdotes in history where you had from the strike breaker periods and, and the late, you know, late 19th century and, you know, some of the real, you know, monopolistic corruption of, of, of a lot of this had to do with corruption of local government and the inability for federal government to step in and protect, uh, you know, the uh, individual rights in, in, in the event that, that local governments were trampling on them. And that's a whole nother episode. I don't really even want to get to that on this. And I know I kind of go off on the things, but it's, it's really important to understand the wealth equation. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about this wealth equation. So it, it costs a lot of money to go to college. It's not cheap, okay? And if you go and get a two-year degree, it's about estimated on the median annual cost of attendance, about $11,500. A lot of money. It's a little under $1,000 a month. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money when you're young. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people trying to, to go and get that degree, um, if they're paying for it themselves, it's not easy. Now, there's different state programs and ways people have saved for it. And if that opportunity is available, then it's really just a time opportunity cost equation. Um, and, and is this something that's going to lead to you being happier in life? So we're, we're going to talk not only about this wealth equation, but we're going to talk about wealth, income, and happiness and how None of the three things are necessarily correlated. None of those three things are necessarily correlated. And, and they don't cause each other. They don't cause each other. They may correlate to each other. I shouldn't say necessarily correlate. I should say they're not caused by each other. They may be correlated in some ways because of certain factors, but they're not caused by each other. You can become very, very wealthy making a moderate income. And if you have two people making a moderate to median income, moderate, I'd say moderate is maybe just below, uh, you know, what I would consider middle class and, and which is probably just above median today, but you know, median income, maybe slightly above median income as an individual, you have two working Adults making just above median income, living in a in an area where the cost of living of, of this country, where the cost of living isn't too high, saving money prudently, 
And we're going to talk about why privatizing Social Security is, is a very important part of making this equation a much faster reality for people. A much faster reality. People should do this anyways. You'd make enough money in this case. Most people don't miss their Social Security tax that's being paid. It's uh, half paid by your employer, which is, is kind of a fallacy because it's really paid by you. It's, it's money that your employer could otherwise pay you. Uh, but it's half paid by your employer. So half the money, you really only pay about six and a quarter that comes out of your check. But that money can easily be used, okay? That money can easily be used to put away to build wealth. And, and the, the equation that I used to, uh, for, for, I believe, what is the final chart on the slideshow, um, I show a 6% compound annual growth rate, an 8% compound annual growth rate, a 12% compound annual growth rate based on the median income in 2015 at a growth rate of 2% per year, which is the target inflation rate. So it stays the same. Real wages just stay the same. And saving the exact amount that goes into Social Security and earning these three different levels of compound annual growth rate. One's very conservative ones. Um, you know, I, I would say highly attainable in America, especially if a couple things go right, the 12%. And the other one's moderate. I mean, I'd, I'd say a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of professional money managers out there that, that openly target 8% for their clients. Um, you know, 8% annually, if you're, especially if you're under the age of 35, probably a little bit higher than that. I mean, it's attainable in, in America. It's attainable around the world over a long period of time. And uh, there are ways to manage out tail risk. And by tail risk, I mean, unlikely instances of, of big market, uh, you know, crashes um, and being able to actually, you know, kind of offset some of those losses in a way that doesn't cost a lot over the period of time that it takes to get to that, that you know, point where the market dips. But, you know, it's called hedging tail risk. And, and we'll do a little bit of a show on that. Um, but I, I try not to talk too much about specific investments because I want this to be a free, uh, a free discussion show. I don't want to have to get into the idea of, I said very clearly on my first show, I will absolutely not give stock tips or investment tips specifically. I will absolutely advocate for investing broadly. I think everybody should uh, save and invest. And I think that there's no better place in the world to invest than America. There's absolutely no better place in the world. Um, I'm, I'm, it, it's, I'm not even going to talk about advocating specific markets, whether it's equity, bond, private equity, venture, real estate. I'm not going to talk about specific markets that I think you should invest in. Uh, you should talk to and find yourself a financial professional. That's why people study this. Um, it's, it's the, the idea that you shouldn't use a financial product. And it's like, it's like if you're sick, not going to a doctor. And there are a lot of people out there that are, what I like to call the Christian scientists of money, you know, the Christian scientists, they don't, they won't go to a doctor. God will protect it. There's a lot of people out there that, are, you know, they think some mythical force will help them. 
even though they know nothing about saving investing. Find a financial professional. Find a financial professional. Go and talk to them. Talk to them about your situation. Be honest. You know, answer your investment policy statement honestly. And let them come up with a solution for you. If you don't like it or you don't like them, find another. Find another. There's a very robust, ro- robust and competitive market uh, for uh, financial professionals out there. But what this last slide shows, I show the assumptions I take into account are that if you get a post, um, what was it called, a post-secondary non-degree award, it maybe takes about a year, right? And if you get a associate, it takes two years. So I'm, I'm just accounting for the time that you're actually doing that, you're not making an income, you're not, you're not saving that money. And then the other thing that I count for is uh, based on that savings rate, I subtracted what your uh, estimated loan payment would be for a degree at the degree level that I'm looking at, okay, what your estimated loan payment would be. Um, and I'd be happy if someone emails me or comments here. Uh, you know, I'd be happy to share the, the, the calculations for that, and you can do the math on your own and, and back it up and, and, and fact check me. But you know, the median income based on that degree level, okay, same compound annual growth rates, but then the supposed number of years that it would take to get their bachelor's is four, and then the number of years that you pay, have to pay off your, your debt. And I adjusted that, the Social Security rate, which I'm taking as an assumed savings rate, okay, assuming that's the money you put away to try to earn this rate of return. We assume that. That, that percentage of money, whatever that dollar term is, I subtracted it from what your loan payment would be, okay? And so you had suppressed savings during the period of where you're paying off your loan if you went and got a degree. Cause I'm just, the, the reason I accounted for that is because what I'm primarily saying is if you need to go and take a loan to get a degree, it's not really necessarily that important unless you know exactly what you want to do, unless you know exactly what you want to do. Okay. And there's a way that you can invest in whether it's yourself to you go out, spend five, seven years, say getting a, going and trying to get a master's degree and saying you don't really care about spend five, seven years doing something that you really care about and become an expert at it. Okay. So let's look at these scenarios. And, and so four years, and, and I read somewhere that it's five years for a doctorate degree on average. So um, a total of nine years for that for a master's, it's about two and a half. So I just round that up to three because, you know, some people take a half year off or here or there. You got to find a job afterwards. So three years, uh, high school diploma, I just assume you went to work at 18. Because if you're not going to college, you should go to fucking work and be on your own for a couple of years and see what that's like. And if you're not going to do it here, you should go somewhere else in the world, travel, get to know the world, enjoy your life. Um, I personally did not do that. I knew exactly what I wanted to do before I graduated high school. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And and that's a rare scenario. You got to think about what you want to do. And if you're still wondering what you want to do, don't just jump into college as a, as, as a, a first choice, um, even knowing exactly what I wanted to do, I went to college and then later dropped out because I found a much more efficient studying economics, 
um, and looking at the numbers back then, I found a much more efficient path to getting there. Uh, and, and I will talk about that in an episode where I'm going to talk about um, specifically about how to fix this education system, which I'm not proposing today. I've been advocating for more, uh, uh, in general, more of these post-secondary non-degree awards or, or what we'll, one would will, one will call a professional certificate. And a lot of these are guided by charter associations that even have ethics codes and hold their members accountable in themselves and uh, serve as their own regulatory body for the professionals. Uh, of, and it's, it's not necessarily a union. They don't set prices or try to mass negotiate, but they set ethics standards and they say, look, if you're going to uphold this and you're going to put this certificate as part of your resume, you need to meet these certain uh, ethics standards. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of these professional associations that offer these certificates and might take a year, might take a, a year and a half. And in some cases, um, you know, it might only take six months. Some cases might take as much as two years, but it's something that I do advocate and will advocate specifically on this show. But the number one scenario that you look at here, if you get a post-secondary non-degree award based on the median income of people that achieve that, and you're able to earn a 12% compound annual growth rate from the age of, of uh, as the year where you didn't earn income, 19 to 64, okay, the age of 64, you, you retire, you grow your income by 2%. You match inflation. You don't even grow your income that much from entry level. You match inflation, match inflation, okay? 2% year, no real income wage, match inflation, or at least projected inflation, and earn a 12% income saving, 12% uh, compound annual growth rate by saving 12 and a half percent after saving 12 and a half percent of your income, what that number grows to and compounds to every, after every year, year after year, after year, putting that money away, it ends up being about 43 years saving that money. You could end up, if, if, if you're able to achieve a 12 percent compound annual growth rate, let me make that very clear. If you're able to achieve a 12% compound annual growth rate from the age of 19 to the age of 64 with a post-secondary non-degree award or a professional certificate based on the median income today, growing that income at 2% or matching projected inflation, putting 12.5% of your money away and earning a 12.5% a 12% compound annual growth rate, you'd have about eight point seven million dollars at the age of sixty four. And that's the highest outcome out of any and sorry for my dog barking and Winston you need a, my dog Winston. Uh, he's a little bulldog. He's an incredible dog. Come here, buddy. Come here. Get over here. He's pretty good. That's his first time barking throughout the whole show. That's uh, pretty damn good. He's only about a year and three months, so I think that's pretty incredible. Um, next, high school diploma. Same scenario, 12% compound annual growth rate. You're able to start a, a year earlier. The median income is a little bit lower. Grow that income at 2%. Put away 12.5% every year. And earn 12.5% compound annual growth rate uh, at a high school diploma job, median income, $8 million. Not $8.7 $8 million. Uh, that, that's still really incredible. Now, the next, the third in line, no formal ed edu education credential. 
starting at the age of 18, no formal education credential, median income, growing it at 2% a year, matching inflation, $6.3 million at a 12% compound annual growth rate. Now, remember, I'm accounting for the fact that at that 12, 12.5% savings rate, which is the same rate of Social Security money that people put away and don't miss, 12, 12.5% savings rate, um, I'm accounting for deducting from that the loan payments over a 10-year period. And I'm also accounting for making no income and putting no income away, no savings away while you're in college or while you're getting your professional training. So those are assumptions I'm taking into account. And this is not, I'm just, what I'm trying to show is if you live a frugal lifestyle and you save your money, okay, and, and somebody who's making the median income with these different levels of education I'm talking about is not going to be wanting for anything in America. And don't get me wrong. You might be wanting for something. You're not going to be needing anything. You'll have all your needs met. You'll be able to find housing in a decent neighborhood where you're not at risk of, of, of you know, random violence. You're going to be able to find uh, you're going to be able to purchase food and keep a stocked fridge with no aid from the government, no food stamps. You'll be able to do that on your own. If you work 40 hours a week, you earn this and achieve what the Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying is the median wage for that level of education. Okay, the median wage for that level of education. One of the other reasons you need to go and look at this is when you're going in for a job interview. You need to know what these numbers are. You need to know what your competitors in the labor force are earning other places so that you can pitch what you need to make. This whole $15 movement, you know, I don't know. I don't know what stores and what. Go and look up your, your, your employer's profits and uh, how many people they employ and what the median wage is. And all. Do the math on your own and find out, is, this, is, is it it's affordable or is it saying it's just propaganda i haven't maybe one day i'll do a a, a segment on minimum wage I'll, i got to i got to do it eventually uh, but i'll do a segment on, on on minimum wage eventually but let's let's keep going down this list so let's talk about some of the lower uh expectations from a standpoint of um uh the uh the compound annual growth rate so let's look at at, at uh like a six percent compound annual growth rate with a master's degree, if you have a 6% compound annual growth rate, you have a master's degree, you're in the median income. After going to college for all those years, paying off your debt, and you're putting away this 12.5% going forward, 6% compound annual growth rate, you'll save about $1.245 million uh, by the time you're, you're 64 years old. Now, with the same 6% compound annual growth rate, with no degree, with no degree, you could you could put away basically the exact same amount. I mean, the numbers actually, you know, they're so close together. Actually, with a six percent, with a high school diploma at the median wage, you could put away one point six million. Whereas the bachelor's degree, after paying off your your uh, loan and you know assuming this two percent growth rate, I know this is an assumption, right? And and people hope to get much better than two percent wage, uh, you know, every year. But this is the assumption I'm taking into account to, to prove that you, you don't need 
a high income and a bachelor's degree to become wealthy. What you need to become wealthy, and it's what I refer to as a two-job mentality, is a mentality of living within your means, of frugality, of putting money away, of trying to find opportunity, of creating your own opportunity, being an entrepreneur. And one of the ways that you can really skew these numbers and find yourself being an outlier on the right side, okay, higher in the income spectrum, higher in the wealth spectrum, is by creating your own job, building value around your own company, and being able to one day exit that company. Being able to one day exit that company. Now, what we need to be able to do to allow people to do that, because I, I don't have all the ideas. I'm not going to sit here and spit out entrepreneurial ideas for other people to go and take and, and do on their own. I don't have them. But a bunch of people have really good ideas out there all the time. And I'll tell you what, the number one force standing in way of most people's ideas of actually saying, fuck it, I'm going to actually try and do this. I'm going to go out there and actually try and create my own job and start my own business. The number one driving force is access to capital. And, and I'm not talking about anecdotes, people. Back in the day, you could walk into a bank. You had a community banker. You, they knew you. They knew you were an honest person. You, had a, you, you worked hard at this. You had studied it. You went to the local library. You even put together your own little graph charts. You put it together. You put together a presentation for them. You pitched them on your business plan. They weighed the risk. Uh, you, know, you know, there's probably, you know, unless you manage this thing really well and you're able to really deliver this value to consumers properly, there's probably about a 40 to 60% chance that you go out of business. Um, you know, but you, you, you know, there's, you, if you, that 40 to 60% chance that you go out of business will happen, you know, three years down the line, we're giving you a five year loan and you will live with interest payments already paid back 96% of the loan. So on, you know, you consider a 60% probability of default after you've paid back 96% of the loan, we're really not risking that much. We're going to do it. Let's do it. We're going to grant you the loan. There's a lot of reasons why that doesn't happen anymore. There's a lot of reasons why that doesn't happen anymore. That's a different show. The, uh, the next thing I want to talk about on the show, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of music um, before we get to this, but the next thing, and this is going to be the final segment of the show, is what are the highest paying jobs? What are the highest paying jobs out there? And if you're really pursuing income, you just want to have a high income. What are the jobs out there and what do you need to do to get there? And what's the lowest level of education that you need to be able to get there? I don't think I'm going to be able to end up covering a whole hour and a half. Almighty. Uh, I mean, I end up covering a whole hour and a half before I think I'm going to be able to get, get to the, the uh, discussion about entre- you know, the entrepreneurial jobs that will be available. Uh, that will be available because I, I, I got to give myself a little little bit of a break here. Uh, I've been going nonstop for, for, for a little bit over an hour, except for a very small break where I was playing that Gary Johnson clip. So um, I'm going to play a little bit of music. Uh, this is a Drake's controller, and I'm going to play this, and, and uh, then we'll get back to the show. Thank God you came How many more days could I wait? I 
Made plans with you And I won't let them fall through I, 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 I think I lie for you I think I die for you Jordacy cry for you Do things when you want me to Like controller Controller like controller, controller, yeah. Okay, you like it when I get aggressive. Tell you to yeah. go slower, go faster. Like controller, controller, yeah. Like controller, controller. And I'm never on a wasting shawty I do it how you say you want it Them girls, they just wanna take my money They don't want me to give you nothing They don't want you to have nothing They don't wanna see me find your loving They don't wanna see me Smiling back when they pre-knowing I lie for you Thinking I die for you So, uh, I might be able to wrap up quick enough and uh, get to this level point. Um, yeah, I, might, I might have to start extending these shows a little bit because I, I do talk a lot. And I ramble a little bit. You'll hear me. Uh, it might sound like I'm like mixing words together. My mind kind of tends to work a little bit fast, especially when I'm talking about some of these numbers. And uh, I talk really fast. I grew up in Miami. I think it's kind of a little bit of that, too. Uh yeah, people in Miami tend to talk fast. Uh, I don't know if it's part of the Hispanic culture, if it's just a Miami thing, but tend to talk fast. So, top 20 highest paying jobs. Okay, top 20 highest paying jobs. We're going to go to that first. Top 20 paid. Um, so, and and this is not in any, I mean, I'll put it in specific order, actually, because this can make the discussion a little bit easier. Um, but basically, the first, you know, eight are doctors first eight are doctors uh oral surgeons orthodontists anesthesiologists internists uh obstetricians and gynecologists OBGYNs, uh psychiatrists surgeons physicians and surgeons and all other doctors and then family and general practitioners then chief executives dentists all other specialists Pediatricians, general practicers, uh, pediatrician general practicers, um, dentists, again, uh, but this is general dentists, and the other one was dentists and all other specialists, all other specialist dentists that were not oral surgeons. Uh, and then you have architectural engine and engineering managers, computer and information systems managers, petroleum engineers marketing managers, judges, magistrate judges, magistrates, basically judges, and air traffic controllers. Now, air traffic controllers, you only need an associate's degree. Um, There is uh, long-term on-the-job training. Um, So that means that the entry level is going to be much lower than you're going to kind of rise up to that, whereas, um, you know, for for a lot of the doctorates uh, that that you would get, uh, you know, Judges, that's a JD. It's a shorter doctorate. So uh, to get a doctoral degree to become a judge, that's what I thought. You know, the law degree track, 
Um, I don't necessarily advocate having more fucking lawyers out there because uh, they tend to find ways to create laws to then pay themselves because if there's too few laws, they uh, they don't really have jobs for themselves. But uh, marketing, my brother's going to become a lawyer, so, so go for it. If, if you're going to aim for that, if you're going to aim for that kind of the high courts, um, I think a very prestigious and honorable thing to do, just please keep our Constitution intact. Uh, or try to move it back towards being intact and, and going back towards more of an original interpretation of what the Constitution meant in the early English language that they were writing it in, uh, early American English language that they were writing it in. Uh, petroleum engineers, um, you, need, you only need a bachelor's degree for that, so it's one of the higher-paying degrees that you only need a bachelor's degree for. Um Computer and information systems managers only need a bachelor's degree for. Architectural and engineering managers uh, only need a bachelor's degree for. Um, and then going up a little bit higher, um, there are there is a job that you only need a bachelor's degree where the uh, median salary is $175,110, and that is chief executives. But guess what? Guess what is very interesting about the chief executives position? Well, you, it, it claims that you need a bachelor's degree. Twenty-three point eight percent of these positions are self-employed. Twenty-eight, twenty-three point eight percent. So, very, very close to a quarter of the chief executive positions that will be coming available. That, as of twenty fifteen, we're paying a median salary of about one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year, which is, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, who would have thought? With the way that the media portrays these chief executive officers out there, the median salary is only 175000 Come on, really, people? What are we complaining about? It's actually not even that that high, and that's okay. I'd rather my doctors be paid more than CEOs, especially surgeons. Hey, if you're working on people's lives, you deserve to uh, have a higher higher salary. Um, that should probably be high, a little bit higher than where it's at right now. Not that much higher than CEOs, but chief executives, hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Twenty-five percent of those, twenty-five percent of the CEO positions that'll be coming available, are uh, are self-employed or projected projected to be self-employed. Now we've got. Let's see how much time we've got left here. Uh, we've got about ten minutes left. So yeah, I think we do have. I think I've got, got going to be able to wrap up here, uh, you know, and, and talk a little bit about the uh, the self-employed positions um, that also have job growth. So barbers projected to grow by ten percent. Uh, there's projected to be another six thousand um, barbers needed over the next ten years. So if it's something that you're interested in doing, it could be a really good position. Uh, and guess what? $27,000, but you don't have to fucking answer to anybody. That's the median wage as well. And if you build your own barber shop and you're charging money for it, it's popular. Uh, that's a business that you can sell. And you can easily sell that business, build it after three or four years, grow at five, six, seven locations with you know 35 seats that you're renting out. And, and you know, you're making a gross profit of, uh, you know, uh, or you're doing gross revenues, let's say you're doing gross revenues of, you know, $400,000 and you don't have any debt. And, um, you know, 
you're willing to stay around for another two or three years after selling, you could probably get two to three times sales for that business as well. So you're doing 200 grand in sales. Even if you're not making a lot of income, you're putting that back in the business to growing. You know, let's say 200 grand in sales, you can get 600 grand for the, that business. And if you built that business over three or four years, you know, that's a fucking pretty penny. If you build a business over three years where, you, you know, that you sell for 600 grand to 800 grand, call it, 600 grand over, over three years, that's 200 grand a year on top of the 27 grand that you're stashing on your own. And if you're living with somebody else and you're in the right part of, uh, of, of town and, and, and in the right town in general, 26 grand ain't shabby. You know, if you have another person that you're living with or if you're, you're, and you're young, it is three or four years and you sell this business, you've grown to, you know, three locations and 20, 25 seats and, you know, doing 300 grand in revenue a year. And, and then, you know, you got 600 grand to start your life with. You know, you could go into something else. And maybe you do that for, uh, for, for 20 years and you build it to 100 locations. You know, and, and uh, you sell it to a private equity firm and uh, start to wind down and, and have succession plans. Maybe you start to franchise or, or, or do something else like a super cuts and uh, you're able to sell it for 12, 15, 20 million dollars. You're able to generate a lot of wealth for yourself. That's entrepreneurship working. And talk about some of the other uh, funeral service managers. My God, people are going to be dying. I know it's morbid. Uh, I know it's, but it's a guaranteed business. It's a guaranteed business, and uh, you know, seventy point eight percent of funeral uh, service managers are self-employed. And guess what? They don't make a fucking shabby uh, wage. Now it says here you need a a associate's degree, but I mean. I, I'm not so sure that you really need a fucking associate's degree to be a funeral service manager. $70,890 median annual wage. And you're, you're mostly working for yourself. You're mostly working for yourself. You own, you know, six or seven cemeteries and, uh, you know, a couple of funeral homes. And, you know, and in those cemeteries, you have some of those, you know, facilities where they kind of go up. And uh, you've got the little drawers where people, you know, loved ones can put, uh, you know, their, their, their memory box in there and, and, you know, with, with the ashes or whatnot, you know, you, you can make damn good money. Uh, you know, yeah, I know it's morbid. I know it's morbid, but, but you know, come on, people, people fucking die. Most people that die, you know, they die of old, old age or, or lifestyle choices. Farmers, ranchers, or other agriculture managers, you know, we're going to be losing about 18,000 of them. It's not really something you want to get into. I want to talk about the ones where you're going to have actual job growths because technology is going to just make it. We're going to need fewer and fewer farmers between technology and trade. Uh, it's, it's not really, you know, if you own a farm and you want to do like an organic and really start your own food brand and, and turn, you know, something entrepreneurial absolutely fucking go for it and if you want to do it that way do it but um we're gonna need fewer and fewer farmers that's just a a fact of life so uh you know unless you really are passionate about creating a new food brand 
a food brand, like a store-bought food brand um, here in America based on like an organic or, or one of the trends or like gluten-free or do like a, like a bison jerky or some shit like that. That would be, you know, that'd be a smart thing to do, but not a lot. So uh, photographers, 60.5% uh, uh, are self-employed. There's going to be a 3.1% increase, about 3.9 thousand new photographers needed. It's not huge numbers, but if you're out there listening, I have a huge listener base right now. Hopefully, eventually, I will one day. But if you're out there listening, 3.9 thousand new photographers are going to be needed. You only need a high school diploma to fucking do this shit. And they make about 31,000, 30, closer to $32,000 a year. $32,000 a year ain't fucking shabby, especially if you're living in certain places. And, you know, if you're living in certain places and, and you, tr- you travel, eventually you'll build up miles and you take that as an investment. You build up miles and you can start to travel for fucking free almost anywhere, any of your gigs that you're doing. And, and you can make more money. And you, you build up a really good photography business and you find a couple of apprentices and you start to build it out a little, a little bit more. And you maybe franchise it out so that, you know, you have a good, you know, photography brand. And you can turn it into entrepreneurial things. 60% are, are self-employed. 60% self-employed, and the median wage is $31,000. And think exit strategy. Think exit strategy. You can sell a business. Businesses with brand and a reputation, even local businesses, have value. And if you have good revenue, strong revenue, and you have a good location, you have a good brand, or whatever the fucking case is, people really like your business, and you, you stick around for a couple of years to show them the ropes, someone will come and buy it for 2 3x sales. And banks will, I'm not going to say banks will lend. We're going to do an episode on why banks aren't lending, and hopefully we can get back to a place where banks will lend. But, in, in, you know, maybe if, if you could find a way to do it, you could self-finance. There's other ways where you can turn that into your retirement. You can turn that into your retirement, okay? And actually, you don't even need to have to turn that into your retirement. You can do that in five to seven, maybe ten years. And we'll talk a little bit about the intricacies of entrepreneurship and, and some of the intricacies of growing a business and how to, you know, weigh, what you should be aiming for, what you should be aiming for based on sort of the, now if you're just aiming to make a really good living and put it away and invest it in somebody else to grow and invest in, in good companies that you kind of understand and, 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 and or have a financial professional manage your money and you just want to clip a good coupon, you can clip a good coupon, you know, and, and the bigger, you know, the, the more, if you're doing 200 grand and you're not reinvesting that, you could clip a really fucking nice coupon and put money away and you can invest it somewhere else. But investing, you got to invest the money, whether it's in yourself or, or somewhere else, you got to invest that money. Um, so this is the highest paid out of at least the top five uh, five to seven jobs that are that are uh, have high percentage of self-employed. Um, now it says that it requires a bachelor's degree again, but managers, okay, just being a manager. The median wage of of being a manager is one hundred four thousand, closer actually closer to one hundred five thousand, and sixty point four percent are self-employed. And there's going to be a, a, another three thousand nine hundred. Uh, managers that are, or excuse me, uh, uh, 38,000 managers that are going to be needed. Excuse me. Uh, 38,000 managers that are going to be needed. They make $104,000 a year, 60.4% self-employed, 60.4% self-employed, $104,000, close to 100, I don't just say 105, it's 104,850. 
$105,000 a year. There's going to be 38,000 managers projected that are going to be needed. 60.4% are self-employed. So being a manager is a fast track to becoming self-employed. And while it doesn't need a bachelor's degree, you really don't. If you work somewhere five to seven years, you could become a manager very quickly. Just dedicate yourself, but you know, put a hard day's work in. Whenever someone needs coverage, cover them. Be that get put in the extra hours. Don't complain. Do your job. Ask and be bold. Say, you know, honestly, you know, I've been here for six to seven months. Uh, you know, I feel like I really did deserve a wage. Most of the time, managers will will say, look, you know, here's a wage, or they'll say, look, really, honestly. Yeah, this isn't the right time. This isn't the right season. We'll give you a wage later. We'll, we'll give you a raise uh, a little bit later when, when time's a little bit better. I'm going to wrap up here. I got about a minute left. I just want to leave you with this thought, okay? Getting a degree does not equal better wealth. It doesn't equal better wealth. It could be a path to it if that's what you want to do. The, the key to generating wealth is to living within your means, saving money, and investing that money, investing that money and investing it prudently. And if you don't know how to invest prudently, find someone who does find a professional. Don't be a Christian scientist with your money. Don't, don't have you know, a really bad financial problem and not try to find help. Go find help. And what I'm going to leave you with after that is that wealth doesn't equate to happiness. And we're going to talk about that on, on the show. Okay. Wealth does not necessarily equate to happiness. We're going to talk about what bare minimums are and what, what, what just getting by is and scraping by, but what you can also do with extra time and why it's not necessary to be wealthy, but being wealthy is nice. Having everything covered and understanding that you're, you're going to be able to pay your bills. That's a good thing to do. Now I'm going to have to sign off here. Now I've got about 10 seconds left. I really hope you enjoyed the second episode. It's a little bit more focused than the first Coming to you live again, this is the Macro View with Andrew Smith. I'm coming to you live from downtown L.A. Today's episode was about jobs. Hope you enjoyed. Goodbye, everybody.